<laughs> that way, I can see the whites of your eyes that way. <laughs> How is everybody doing tonight? Um, have y'all had a good week? The Lord blessed you? I want to ask you, why are you coming to a Bible study? What do you want to get out of coming? Have you thought about that? Are you different this time right now than you were this time last year? Do you love Jesus more today than you did yesterday? That's what studying the Word of God does for us. It just fills us up, and it makes us want to know more and more and more of His truth. So thank you all for taking your time. Um, We always pray that we never waste your time, and I don't think the Lord ever wastes our time. So um, let's get started tonight. And what I'm going to do first is just a quick recap of what Pam talked about last week. She led us in the history of David, and she told us about his lineage. And remember, she told us that David was a man after God's own heart. But he didn't have a perfect bloodline, did he? Remember, he had the prostitute Rahab in his bloodline? And then she said he also was not actually even a really strong man of character, that he had lots of character flaws. He had an affair with Bathsheba. And then when he couldn't cover that affair up, he goes and he kills her husband. That's not a whole lot of character, is it? And then the next thing he did, he um, had a son, and his son actually raped his daughter. And David just turned his head. He didn't even care that his son had done that. So David really had some character flaws. But the Word of God says that David was a man after God's own heart. How could that be? With all of that going on in his life. You see, David was a chief sinner. But one of the things I think, (laughs) if it's really a word, is David was actually a chief repenter also. Every time he broke God's heart, he would just run straight back to the Father and he would just say, Oh God, oh Father, I am so sorry. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. So David loved the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his mind. Tonight what we're going to talk about is what is the tabernacle of David? And did everybody get a little handout when you came in tonight? Um, And we're going to talk about what is the tabernacle of David and why do we want to restore that tabernacle today. In John 15, 5, it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So in that, the word of God tells us that anything that you do apart from God's presence is what? Nothing. I like feedback. Y'all can talk to me. (laughs) Nothing. See, we can do a lot of good things in our flesh, and sometimes I think we get real caught up in doing that in the church. You know, they they need somebody on the children's hall, and you had not even prayed about it. You just say, yes, I'll do that. Or 
I need some help in the kitchen or I need, you know, to take a meal to somebody and you busy yourself up in the work of God and you never get in the presence of God. I feel like we will change people's lives eternally if we will start out in the presence of God and begin to minister from that point instead of ministering from our flesh and then asking God to bless it. Start out in His presence. The first scripture we're going to go to tonight is 1 Chronicles 13. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 13. And some of the stories that I'm going to go over tonight, Pam kind of touched on last week, and I'm going to go into depth a little bit more into these studies. 1 Chronicles 13, verse 3 is where I'm going to start. Um, And this is David actually speaking here. Let us bring the ark of God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed the right because it seemed right to all the people. David assembled all the Israelites, and down in verse seven, they moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart. Uzziah and Ohio were guiding it. And David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God with songs and harps and lyres and tambourines and cymbals and trumpets. And when they came to the threshing floor, Uzziah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen had stumbled. And the Lord's anger burned against Uzziah. And he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark so that he died before God. And if you were to look this up back in its original language, what actually would have happened was fire came out of heaven and it would have literally exploded Uzziah. So do you think that would have been a traumatic event in front of you? That would have kind of spoiled the whole party, wouldn't it? Um, In verse 11... It says that David was very angry because of the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzziah. And he, um, it says David was afraid of God that day. And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? And he did not take the ark of God to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. And you know, have you ever just kind of been angry at God because he did something you thought, well, Lord, that just wasn't fair. That's just not right. I think that's where David was. He said, I'm just going to put your presence aside. I can't deal with that. And um, I thought about it like this. Think about the power and the presence of God being like electricity. You know, electricity is really good. I mean, it, it lights up our church. It lights our homes. It can light up whole cities and whole nations. But would you let your child stick a fork into a light plug? No. Why? Because the power would take them out. You cannot carelessly handle electricity. You can't carelessly handle the presence of God. 
See, it wasn't a bad thing that God did to Uzziah. It was just the power was so powerful that it had to be handled with care. Um, And it says that he left the Ark of the Covenant in Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. I think what was happening, if you will turn with me to Matthew 5.13... Matthew 5.13, you are to be the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled down by men. You are to be the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise God in heaven. See, I think that's what was happening in Obed-Edom's house. He was be, the presence of God was in his home with him, and he was beginning to be salt and light. People were seeing what the presence of God was doing in his house. And so it began to draw people's attention to the goodness of the Lord in Obed-Edom's home. And so all of a sudden, David hears, hey, Obed-Edom is getting all these blessings because he's got the presence of God. So he wanted, again, to see what he had done wrong and get that presence back and take it into the city of David. So let's turn over to chapter 15, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. Verse 1. After David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David, he prepared, circle that word, prepared. He prepared a place for the ark of God and he pitched a tent for it. And then David said, No one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. Now, you know, we're always encouraging each other, encouraging you to be presence carriers, to carry the presence of the Lord. Well, in your notes, you'll see that there's a scripture. It's 1 Peter 2, 9. And this is, you're you're thinking, well, Uzziah touched, he carried the presence and it took him out. But this scripture, 1 Peter 2.9, gives you the right to be a presence carrier. Um, It says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. See, the word of God gives you legal right that you can carry the presence and not be killed. Do you see that? You are considered a priest now. Let's go down to verse 13, chapter 15, verse 13. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord, our God, broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire him about how to do it in the prescribed way. And so the priest and the Levites 
This time they consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord. Um, so this time, David said, we're going to find out what we did wrong. We want your presence and we want to live. So let's find out how the Lord's prescribed way for us to carry the presence of a most holy God. And I think that's still true for us today. The Lord wants us to carry him with honor and with dignity. Next, we're going to look in verse 16 at some elements that are in the tabernacle. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. If you go on over, you'll see that another element that they had in the tabernacle of David in verse 18, they had gatekeepers. 19, it says they had musicians to sound the bronze cymbals. They had people to play the lyres. They um, were playing harps. And it says that they assigned the head Levite was in charge of the singing. That was his responsibility because he was skillful at it. Like I told Melissa this morning, she was assigned the responsibility of being the worship leader in our church because she's skillful at it. They didn't ask me to do that. <laughs> I really don't know why, but... <laughs> um, so the Lord ha has assigned her that job. It says that there were doorkeepers for the ark. There were people that guarded the gates and the doors of the ark. Um, so in verse 25, they went to bring up the ark of the covenant from the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing because God had helped the Levites and they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Do you see the difference this time? They came in carrying the Ark of the Covenant with rejoicing because they had done it in the proper prescribed way. They had consecrated themselves and now God honored them and he helped them usher that presence into the place where they had wanted it to go. And one thing that I just really struck me about this was do you see Obed-Edom's position in all of this? Obed-Edom had had the presence of God in his house, and David comes and takes it away. Now, a lot of us would have been sitting over in our house having a pity party because King David had come in and taken something so valuable. But he did not have any part of that. He marched himself right in there, and he stayed with the presence of God. So I think that we need to learn a, a big lesson from Obed-Edom. Go with the presence. Um, verse 28. So all of Israel brought up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord with shouts and with sounding of ram's horns and with trumpets and with cymbals and with the playing of lyres and harps. And as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, which was David's wife, um, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. See, it embarrassed her. She, 
this was not some kind of little solemn ceremony where everybody came in and said, Oh, Lord, how great art thou. And very reverent. And it was reverent, but in a different way than we consider that. But she looks down and she goes, I'm just embarrassed of my husband. And if you turn back into 2 Samuel 6, 23, it says that Michael was struck barren from that day forth. She never produced children because she had a judgmental spirit. She never produced any fruit for the kingdom of God. And then it tells us that David was considered a man after God's own heart. See, she stood up there and was haughty and judged what her husband was doing. And David, who was just becoming indignant in front of the whole city of Israel, God said, is a man after my own heart. And you know, you hear the part about where David disrobed. Those robes would have been a mantle. They would have been a symbol of authority on him. And he just took he just took off all that authority. He took off all that power that he had on him. And he just gave everything he had in worship before the Lord. Now, I want to ask you something. Think about if that was your husband or your boyfriend that came in church. And they were just worshiping all out. Would that embarrass you? Would you, would you say, honey, sit down. You're making a fool out of yourself. Or would you just be so proud of them? Would you be so excited? I can tell you, there are huge battles in our churches. There's probably several different denominations in this room tonight. And there are so many battles in the heavenlies and even in our churches over the music. Well, I didn't like that song. That was too fast. That was too slow. I, well, I like a hymn and I don't like those drums and I don't like... And we hear that all the time, don't we? But you know what? That music is not for you. It is for God and He is looking at your heart. What are you doing during the music? Your eyes don't need to be on anybody else in the sanctuary. They need to be on Jesus and Jesus alone. Okay, let's go down to chapter 16, starting in verse 4. He had appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition, to give thanks, to praise the Lord, to play the lyres, the harps, and to sound the cymbals, and to blow the trumpets regularly before the Ark of the Covenant. So these are things that were taking place in the tabernacle of David. They were making petitions before the Lord. You're to ask the Lord for the things that you need. Just talk to him like you would a friend. Give thanks for the things that he's given you. Thank you, Lord, that I had a good night's sleep. Thank you, Lord, that you went to the cross and you saved me from my sins. Thank you, Lord, for my husband, for my children. Just thank him. And then you're to praise the Lord. I praise you because you are powerful. You're all-knowing. You're my king. You're my man. You are everything that I want. You're everything I need. I praise you. And then 
They were playing instruments, all kinds of instruments in the tabernacle of David. It was a joyful, wonderful place. Um, And one of the instruments that they played was the trumpet. And in the Bible, they would have used actually a ram's horn. This is a ram's horn. They call it a shofar in the Bible. And this instrument, I I just listed a few things that a shofar's horn would have been used for in the Bible because I think this was such an important instrument. And if if I could bet on it, I bet every (laughs) single instrument is the same way, that each one has a purpose that we don't even realize, that God is doing something in the heavenlies on our behalf with every instrument and every voice that's played. Um, Okay, the the shofar. It was used as an instrument of warfare. They would sound the alarm with the shofar. It's the ultimate symbol of the sacrifice. It's a picture uh, of Jesus. It reminds us of his sacrifice. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? when um, Isaac was about to be offered as a sacrifice and God stopped him and there was a ram and it was caught by its horn in the bushes. Remember that? So the ram's horn is a symbol of the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus. The walls of Jericho fell at the sound of a shofar blast. (coughs) When you hear that shofar in your life, I think that walls that we've built up will be coming down. The sound of the shofar arouses the soul to repentance. In the biblical days, they would have blown the shofar and that would have announced that it was time to come to worship. So they would have been, as they were going, walking to worship, they would have been cleansing their souls and they would have been saying, Lord, forgive me. And they would have been preparing their hearts and their bodies to enter into the presence of God. And it also... The shofar announces God as our king. Do you know that it says in Revelations that one day the heavens are going to part and the archangels are going to get those big old trumpets out and they're going to... And our Jesus is going to come riding into this earth on a white horse. And he's going to have all the armies of heaven with him. And he's coming to get us. So that's going to be a sound you need to be looking for. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Um, Another interesting fact, I I love the Bible and I love the little details that you can find when you are studying it. Um, One of the things that I found out was that um, Saul was anointed with a flask of oil and David was anointed with a horn of oil. And if you go back into 1 Samuel 10, it tells you that God told Samuel to go get a flask of oil and to anoint Saul. But if you look back in 1 Samuel 8, I'm just going to tell you all this story kind of quickly. Saul was not God's original plan. God did not want Saul to be the king. And he says to Samuel the prophet, You can tell Saul that I'm going to anoint him and you can tell the people that I'm going to give you a king, but there's going to be consequences. 
this is not my man, this is not my plan, and you will suffer the consequences for Saul being your king. So he anointed him with a flask of oil. And then if you look in 1 Samuel 16, it says that um, God is talking to Samuel, the prophet, and he says, Samuel, why are you mourning over Saul, the king of the past? I want you to fill your horn up with oil and you go to Jesse's house and you find the next king. And so Samuel goes and you know the story. He finds David and he takes that little horn of oil and this would have been a smaller horn and he would have filled it up with oil and he would have poured it over David's head. Now you see, a flask is a man-made vial. A horn would represent the authority of God. He poured the oil on David with the authority of God. And Saul's anointing was revoked. And David's kingdom lived from one generation to the next. When the Lord anoints you, it's much better than man's anointing. Okay, if we go down to 1 Chronicles 17, we see what the next thing that's happening. David is talking to God, and he says, Well, Lord, you know, I'm living in this really fine house, but you're in this tent. You've been moving from place to place, and you don't have any permanent location. He says, I want to build you something fabulous. And God says, David... Well, he actually tells Nathan, another prophet, to go tell David that that's not going to happen. He says, I'm going to give the honor of building a permanent tabernacle, a permanent temple for me to your son Solomon. And so David is good with that. And Solomon builds the most fabulous temple that has ever been built. It was huge. There were gold all over the floor and all over the walls, and it was the most magnificent place that people had ever seen. And it says that when the presence of God came in, it was so overpowering that they couldn't even minister, the priests couldn't even minister, that they fell prostrate on the floor, that the glory of the Lord was so powerful in that house. But there are three dwelling places that we have talked about. Remember last time we studied the tabernacle of Moses? And that's a picture of Jesus, right? And then... Tonight we've been studying the tabernacle of David, which is the presence of God. And then there was the temple of Solomon. And it was the most grand, magnificent, beautiful place. And out of all of those three, which one has God instructed us to rebuild in the last days? The tabernacle of David is the only one he's telling us to rebuild. Let's go to Acts Chapter 15. And I want to just kind of catch you up on what's happening in this story. We're going to start in verse 6, Acts 15, verse 6. But Jesus had already died on the cross, and the day of Pentecost had come, and the Holy Spirit had filled all of the believers that were in the house that day on the day of Pentecost. So with that, 
they all went out and began to preach the gospel boldly. And the first believers were all Jewish. And now, after the day of Pentecost, all of these Gentile people were being converted. So this began to cause a disturbance amongst the Jews because they were saying, hey, well, they're, they're coming into the kingdom, but they're not following all of our traditions. Are they really saved? What kind of things do they have to do to be saved? And so they come and they have this board meeting, this council meeting, and that's where we're picking up in verse 6. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. See, Peter said, God told me to go to the Gentiles and I gave them the message and they believed. God, who knows the hearts, showed that he accepted them by giving them the same Holy Spirit just as he did to us Jews. And he made no distinction between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of these disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe that it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we are saved, that, that, they are, that we are saved just as they are. And the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and to Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. See, God was doing the same miraculous signs and wonders for the Gentiles as he had done for the Jews. And when he had finished, James spoke up, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us now how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentile people for himself. And the words of the prophets are in agreement with, what is, with what's happening right now. See, what he was saying is, the prophets hundreds of years ago prophesied that these Gentiles would be coming to, into the kingdom just like the Jews were. This was way back over in the book of Amos. So let's turn to Amos and see what he said about the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of heaven. Amos is one of those books kind of in the latter part of the Old Testament. This is Amos 9, starting in verse 11. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places. I will restore its ruins, and I will build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. In what day is he talking about? the day when Gentiles are coming into the kingdom of heaven just like the Jewish people. That was happening in Acts 15. That's still happening today. And it says that he'll go back and he'll get his remnant. And let's read on down in verse 13. The days are coming, declares the Lord, 
when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. See, he says when this tabernacle of David is restored, that when the, the word goes out, the seed, the word of God goes out, that the harvest will come up so quickly and that it will be harvested as quickly as the word is going out. So what we need to know is why do we want to restore the tabernacle of David so that Gentiles, unsaved people, will come into the kingdom of heaven. And remember last week when Pam taught us what is the tabernacle of David? She said that it was a foreshadow of the church. And you'll see lots of references to this, that our bodies are the temple of God in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 3.16 and 1 Corinthians 6.19 tell us that we are the temple of the living God. So if our bodies are the tent, we're the place that the Holy Spirit lives. And when, when that is being restored, when we become salt and light to the world, when we walk into the world and, and we add flavor to the whole world, when we walk into the world and the light of Jesus Christ is shining through us, the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's the day that non-believers will begin to come in quicker and quicker that the, the as I, he put it here, the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. There will be a, a quick harvest. So do y'all see why we want to restore the tabernacle of David? Do you understand that you are, your body is the tabernacle of David? And these are the elements that you should be carrying in that tabernacle. It says that the tabernacle of David was a place of 24-7 worship. It was a place where there was petition. You give thanks and praise and music. The tabernacle of David was built for worship. In the Bible, there is no description of building materials for the tabernacle of David, and there's no size. Reckon why? You think it's because we're all different sizes and shapes and made out of different stuff? The Ark of the Covenant was always in the tabernacle of David. That means the presence of God was there. The priest worshiped there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So there was continual worship going on. Two outstanding factors about the tabernacle of David is God's presence, the glory, was always there. His glory is always present in the tabernacle of David. And the priest ministered nonstop. So... How do we become this tabernacle of David? First of all, you have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And then you've got to remember way back when we started this, we said you have to prepare a place for the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. You can't live just any old way. You can't carry the presence just any old way. 
the word says, prepare a place for the presence to dwell. And the next thing, we've got to become ever aware of the presence that rests upon us. I was looking at this stained glass window. You can't really see it, the middle one over here. But it, it shows when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. And you remember the story where the dove came and lit on Jesus? Now, if the presence of God, if you just pretended that it was a dove sitting on your shoulder and you didn't want that dove to leave, how would you behave? What would you do? Every step you would take, you would take with that dove in mind, right? You would make no sudden move so that the dove flies off. When you wake up in the morning, you say, Holy Spirit, good morning. What do we want to study today, Holy Spirit? Where do you want me to go in the Word? What do you want me to pray? You know, the Israelites really messed up when they prayed that they wanted King Saul. They got what they prayed for. It was not God's will for them. Ask the Lord, what am I supposed to pray about today? Lord, how do I encourage my husband? How do I encourage my children? Every step you take, you take with the dove in mind. And tonight as we close, Melissa and Browning are going to come up and they're just going to give us a chance just to worship the Lord, just to be the tabernacle of David. And I know that for some of you it may be, you know, you just really have never done that before. But I just ask that you would surrender yourself, that you would just make yourself, make room for the Holy Spirit, ask Him to teach you how to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And if it's too uncomfortable for you in this place, I ask you to get in your room at home and just begin to learn how to worship God when you are by yourself. He'll teach you. He'll teach you just like He did David, and you will be just amazed at what He'll do in your life. So let's just take time to worship for a few minutes.
called less to stand before the throne. Splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light. Darkness tries to hide. It trembles at his voice. It trembles at his voice. And how great is our God. Sing with me, oh great is our God. And all will see how great, how great. Time is in his hands, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. The God and three and one, Father, Spirit, Son, the Lion and the Lamb, the Lion and the Lamb. Sing. 
to him. Just lift up those songs to him. Take joy, my 
pray that David's tabernacle will be rebuilt in our heart. God, erect that that love for you, that passion for you, that heart for you, that worship of you, that understanding of your holiness. Erect those things in our heart again, Lord, that we may follow you, as the scripture says, with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. For that is how you've called us to love you, God. And so teach us how to love you that way. Because we all know that you love us that way. (laughs) And so, Lord, may we not give you anything less than what you've already given to us. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. We thank you that you're rebuilding David's tabernacle in our hearts. Even to this very day, in this very moment. It's in Jesus' name we pray.